When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Extreme weather, we hear about that a lot lately. This past week, it was about the historic floods that brought over a foot of rain to Southern California in just days. My next guest is someone whose career centers around the world's extreme weather, recording it and reporting it accurately. Randy Cervini is a president's professor in geographical sciences who specializes in weather and climate at Arizona State University. Since 2007, he has served as the World Meteorological Organization's Rapporteur of Weather and Climate Extremes, the person in charge of assessing and validating world extremes, such as world's hottest temperature. Randy has a book coming out this month called Judging Extreme Weather, Climate Science in Action. And even though everyone loves to talk about the weather, Randy is someone who likes to explain it to people in easy-to-relate language and talk about how weather is going to be a headline maker in the years and decades to come. He's also got some interesting stories you may have never heard of, like the time it rained chocolate. Sounds like a perfect day to me. Please welcome Randy Cervini to the Janice Dean Podcast. Randy, thank you for being here. And, you know, this is a good time to talk to you because this past week we had the atmospheric river that, of course, made headlines on all the newspapers and all the cable news networks that went right directly into Southern California, including Los Angeles. And I had someone the other day say, oh, you made up that that word atmospheric (laughs) river. And I was like, no, that's a real term. So, you know, how can we... As meteorologists, as people in broadcasting, how can we convey a message which, without people thinking that it's all hype? <laughs> well, I, I think it's it's the use of the term that the more that we use these these terms, uh, the more the public starts to pick it up. Uh, one of the big terms, for example, here in the Southwest that uh, uh, I was involved with in terms of popularizing is Habu. Oh. Uh, Habu was 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 kind of first put forth by the the media here in the Southwest back in uh, 2011, we had a, a mega uh, dust storm that came through and we used the proper technical word, which was haboob. Yes. I, I have to admit, a lot of people find that funny, yes. but it is the actual proper scientific term. Uh, atmospheric river is another one of those terms that, that we used to call it back in when I was going to school and, and just starting out as a professor, uh, we called them uh, pineapple expresses, mm-hmm. but uh, a, a little bit more scientific term is atmospheric river. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it's great. I think it's great to introduce the public to the actual meteorological term. But the problem is they think we make it up to, you know, to hype something. Hype the weather. Right, right. right. And that was always a problem is that it sometimes can be overused. But I would much prefer using the proper terminology as opposed to 
making something up. Yes. <laughs> like, remember the polar vortex. But I felt that they, the media used that but didn't explain what it was. It almost looked like the headlines of a, you know, a horror movie. Right. And <laughs> one of the things that I have to do in my uh, uh, meteorology classes is explain exactly what the polar vortex is and that it's it's not just this one surge of of cold air that's kind of been uh, popularized but it's more of a a flow of atmospheric air across the entire northern hemisphere Mm -hmm. it's a a loop of air around the uh, the north pole Listen, I think it's very interesting, but it is hard as a broadcaster to kind of break it down into layman's terms so that, you know, the general public understands. Oh, right. And that's actually one of the big problems that we had that uh, that allowed us to, to form this uh, group in the World Meteorological Organization that's involved with extremes. Because one of the things that I noticed all the way back in uh, 2005 with uh, Hurricane Katrina is that sometimes... Some of the media, less now, actually, but some of the media tends to overhype a particular event. And and I was watching Hurricane Katrina back in 2005. It was a nasty, nasty hurricane. But I heard one of the commentators saying something about it being the worst hurricane of all time. And that simply wasn't the case. I mean, Hmm. 2,000 people did die. But even here in the United States, we've had worse hurricanes. There was one back in uh, 1900 that hit Galveston. Yep. 6,000 people died. Uh, another one that, uh, that hit in uh, Bangladesh, 300,000 people died. So we started this project at the uh, World Meteorological Organization to try to make sure that we get the numbers right. Hmm. So that when the media wants to talk about a disaster or an, a, a hot temperature or something, what are the actual extremes? So we started uh, back in 2007 with the World Meteorological Organization, a uh, group to to see if we can verify scientifically extremes around the world. Hmm. And give me some examples of that. Well, we look at everything from uh, like temperature. What is the hottest temperature in the world that we've recorded? What are the hottest temperatures in each of the continents? So we just recently have announced, for example, that the hottest temperature in Europe uh, was uh, uh, a new record was set uh, back in 2020 uh, of uh, nearly 109, over 119 degrees Fahrenheit, 48.8 degrees Celsius. Uh, we look at things like pressure, winds. What are the strongest winds that we've seen on the planet? Uh, we've looked at rainfall. Where are the heaviest rains that we have seen? How much rain can we get in 24 hours? How much rain can we get in 48 hours? We've even started branching out into things like hurricanes and tornadoes. What is the deadliest hurricane? What is the deadliest tornado that we have on record? Those are some of the, the things that we've looked at. Uh, our technology has improved to the state now that we're even looking at things like lightning, being able to tell you what is the longest distance that a single lightning bolt has traveled or the longest duration that a lightning bolt has traveled. Mm. You talk about the technology. The technology obviously has gotten better, even within the last 20 years. So how do you go back to, you know, 60, 70, 80, 100 years and be able to kind of balance that because they weren't using the same kind of technology we use today. That, and that, that's very true. You, you, are, you are correct. Um, one of the things that we do is that 
for any particular record that we are evaluating, uh, and it's and it's my joy to be able to do this. We put together teams of the best of the best. I, I kind of feel a little bit like uh, uh, Nick Fury of uh, of the uh, Avenger movies. I, I have a chance to put together the best team of scientists to look at a particular event. So when we're looking at something like lightning, I'm going to get the best lightning scientists in the world. And they're going to be the ones that are actually looking at all the data, looking at all the records and determining, is this a legitimate observation or not? If I'm looking at temperature, I look at get the uh, scientists around the world that are the best in terms of uh, knowing everything there is to know about the instruments and how uh, the temperature sensor should work and where they should be located and how they should be calibrated and all this kind of stuff. So for me, it's a joy because I get to work with the best of the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was up at Mount Washington a couple of weeks ago, and I was so impressed with them because they use the same um, equipment, uh, the same technology that they used back in the 30s when they first started to take weather observations. Um, so, okay. yeah, so I thought that was pretty amazing. They showed me, you know, the the old fashioned thermometers um, and, you know, the, the gauges that they use for the winds. Um, and so they pride themselves on using the same equipment that they did back in the 30s when they started taking observations that's right that's right and for places like that the equipment that they use is still some of the best that's available Hmm. i'm i'm afraid i'm a little bit uh uh in uh in the dumps with uh mount washington uh however because a, a few years ago we actually took away their title is having measured the strongest highest speed wind for the world where they still have the the strongest uh, when measured for uh, that's been measured by a human. Yes. But we've had a automated system that was down in Australia and a hurricane uh, like storm had passed over top of it. A, a, a tropical cyclone had passed over top of it and was a much stronger wind than the wind that was recorded at uh, at Mount Washington. Mm. So uh, I'm afraid that they, they, they aren't quite as happy with me, but actually as part of that panel. I had the director of Mount Washington Observatory, and he was he said, yeah, yeah, this is this is a legitimate observation that we were looking at off the coast of, oh. uh, of Australia. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. So what did you what conclusion did you come to when you when you wrote this book that's that's coming out the end of February? Well, the, the, the biggest thing is that we have an incredible array of really great scientists around the world. Each of the chapters of this book tells of one of our investigations. So I have uh, an investigation on tornadoes, uh, the investigation that we did uh, involving some aspects of, uh, of hurricanes and tropical investigation on rainfall and on pressure. With each chapter, I, I'm able to give the background of some of the committee members that I have on that investigation. So I get to tell the the behind the scenes stories, if you will, of uh, people like Roger Edwards, who is one of the best tornado forecasters and storm chasers in the business. He He's at the uh, uh, Storm Prediction Center down in Norman, Oklahoma. I talk about people like uh, Susan Solomon, probably one of the best Antarctic scientists in the world. She actually uh, uh, has land features in Antarctica that have been named a- after her because mm. of her work with the ozone hole. She was one of the primary people that was able to determine what was causing the ozone hole and uh, and how to stop it. Uh, so in each of these chapters, I'm able to give 
kind of the, the behind the scenes stories of these super, super scientists. And I'm hoping it's going to help inspire the next generation of meteorologists to uh, to pick up the mantle and keep on uh, with this great work. The ozone is very interesting because, I mean, I remember growing up and it was, you know, it was the headline that you, the ozone and we were going to completely ruin our air. Uh, and and since then, you know, things have improved immensely. You don't hear about the ozone anymore. That's right, because uh, back in the 90s, we created something that was called the Montreal Protocols. And it's been one of the most successful international agreements of all time. I think almost every country has, has signed on to it. And it limits the amount of chlorofluorocarbons, the things that actually destroy ozone. It limits those from getting into the air. And since the 90s, since that protocol went into to effect, uh, we have seen marked improvement in the ozone hole that uh, over the last few years, it is much smaller and less long lasting than it was back in the late 80s and the early 90s. So we can have an effect on climate and a positive effect on climate. Uh, and and the uh, ozone hole is just one of the, the true uh, examples of, of when we get our act together, we can do good things. I love that. That is a success story that I'm glad we're talking about because what can we do? You know, I, listen, um, sometimes you have these big events that happen. You mentioned hurricanes, Hurricane Katrina, people saying it was the worst hurricane. Yes, we lost a lot of people, but it was because the levees broke. Uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily because of the Cat 3 hurricane. It was because of the infrastructure. So what can we do as human beings that that love our planet um, and and want to make it better without you know making it political? <laughs> well, and that's that's where I kind of have to draw the line because I'm I'm an, a data scientist. I work with numbers. I work with making sure that the measurements were handled correctly, that the observations were taken in the right way. I I actually leave the policy, and in policy is quite important. But I leave that to the experts in climate that are experts in climate policy. So my head, the 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 secretary general of the World Meteorological Organization, and she just uh, took office here this uh, this uh, last couple months. Uh, she is kind of the mouthpiece for what meteorologists around the world uh, think should be done. Hmm. Uh, the, the World Meteorological Organization, interesting organization, it predates the United Nations. It predates the League of Nations. It was created all the way back in 1857. Uh, wow. wow. uh, and, and the idea was simple. We, we, back then, they realized that measurements of things like temperature or wind – have to be done in the same way around the world. That if I take a temperature measurement here where I'm at in Phoenix, I want it to be measured in exactly the same way that it was in London or it was down in Australia. And so they got together all the way back in the 1800s and said, we got to come up with an agreement that says the world's going to work together and take weather measurements uniformly around the world. It was one of the first attempts at international cooperation, and it's worked incredibly well. Uh, so that that's kind of, of uh, working together, I think, is one of the really big things. And my, my particular organization that I work with, the World Meteorological Organization, uh, it, it became so successful, by the way, that when they formed the United Nations, the United Nations says, 
boy, you guys are doing such a great work. We're going to make you a part of us. <laughs> so they actually pulled the World Meteorological Organization into the United Nations and were part of the United Nations. That's pretty awesome. OK, so a couple of things uh, caught my attention here. Did you know that jet streams were kept a military secret? <laughs> yes, indeed. And that points out how weather can also have implications uh, that that make us not want to work together. Mm. Um, fortunately, we've kind of come across that. But all the way back into the 1920s and the 1930s, uh, one of the, the big surprises for the world was that the German Zeppelin fleet was so good that they could beat the uh, the times that they were supposed to arrive at a given location far exceeding anybody else's uh, abilities. And a lot of people were thinking, well, it must just be that the Germans are great pilots. Well, they are great pilots. They were great pilots. But they also had a meteorologist who had discovered that there is this river of air, mm -hmm. this narrow river of air that flows around the northern hemisphere. And that if you get into it, you're going to get a tailwind that's going to push you at a, in, uh, maybe 100 miles an hour faster than you would have been otherwise. And this German meteorologist said, oh, this is really cool. I don't think I need to tell anybody about this. And uh, <laughs> so for a decade or more, wow. the Germans were kind of the, the best uh, Zeppelin pilots because they knew about something that the rest of the world didn't in, in terms of weather. Hmm, that's pretty cool. And we'll be back with more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Now, what about this small town where it rained chocolate? <laughs> well, now, you know, when I, 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 when I wrote this book, I, I was kind of told that, you know, you should make it an academic book that, that's going to be I, – I'm not I, – I don't think that way. So what I did is I have between each chapter a, a little thing that I call the freaks of the storm. And the freaks of the storms are the old weird tales – that we hear about in terms of tornadoes or hurricanes or rainfall. And, and in terms of what you were talking about, uh, just a few years ago, there was a storm that took place in uh, Switzerland that was remarkable because it was a rain, a storm of chocolate, mm. a snowfall of chocolate. What had happened is one of the chocolate plants, the Lindel factory that was in the nearby area suffered a malfunction and they were releasing some of their chocolate into the air. It got taken up into the, the storm clouds and then precipitated out. So people in the nearby town suddenly found their cars were covered in chocolate. That's it was awesome. a, a strange thing. And those are what I call freaks of the storm. And between each of my chapters, I give you a little weird story or two of that particular atmospheric feature and something weird that's associated with it. Mm. So I, I tell, for example, one of the stories that I have that's, that's kind of fun is um, I, I've had a chance to meet with some pretty interesting people around my long career. And I was doing a, a, a small show for uh, Waylon Jennings, the legendary country singer. Yeah. And I was telling him about 
hurt tornadoes and, and such. And afterwards, he, would, he came up and he was talking with me. He said that he himself had had a tornado experience. Now, I can't verify this because it's only what he told me. But he said he was driving home one day from a concert and he was in his car. There's a big storm that came by. Storm dropped a tornado. It picked up his car, spun it around, dropped it back on the road, but facing the other way. And he told me he was so shaken by that particular event when the storm had passed and he was okay. The car was okay. He said, I decided that I was going to drive back to where I came from because I didn't, I think somebody was trying to tell me I shouldn't go to where I thought I was supposed to go to. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so it's those kind of stories that uh, I, I hope will uh, kind of uh, lighten some of the, the more serious chapters that I have in the book. Mm-hmm. What made you get interested in weather? Um, I grew up in Nebraska. Mm. I'm a, a, a good Midwestern boy, a good Great Plains boy. And so I had lots of tornadoes uh, growing up. And, and in fact, I lived outside of a small town. My family lived outside a small town. We were up on a hill. Whenever there was anything that was going to be threatening our town, the sheriff would actually drive out to our particular farmstead and we would all watch the weather together. And if there if we saw something that looked threatening, he could call back to the town and they could start sounding the, the sirens and, and this kind of stuff. So I grew up very uh, much with weather as one of my uh, primary uh, uh, inputs as I was as I was a youngster. What did you think of the movie Twister? Oh, it's fun. It's fun. And I hear they're going to be making a sequel. I heard that, too. I feel like you you are. Yeah. Listen, I think that anything that brings attention uh, to the weather uh, and makes people interested in it, I think I think is a good thing. What I do, too. I do. What are your thoughts on raising the category of a hurricane? I I saw, you know, this comes up once in a while, but I, I. I think I saw it in the Washington Post that they're talking about making possibly a category six. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, they uh, there was a paper that was published this week in the proceedings of the uh, uh, National Academy of Sciences and a couple of meteorologists, actually a couple of people that have served on some of my committees uh, that have looked at extremes in the past have proposed that there are definitely pluses and minuses to doing that. Mm-hmm. Um the, the big minus, I think, is that the hurricane scale is based in terms of the media and such on wind speeds. And that's actually not the biggest danger that is associated with hurricanes. Mm, yes. The, the deaths that are associated with hurricanes, the worst hurricanes that we have on record, the deaths are associated with storm surge, mm-hmm. with the flooding, the coastal flooding that takes place. And if you increase the category of a storm, you're not necessarily increasing the the storm surge that's going to be associated with it. This, they're kind of two separate things. It depends a lot on the movement of the storm and, and the speed of it and lots of other factors. And so there are some people that are concerned that if you just simply create a new category, you're going to lessen the potential warning impact of having a, a, a big storm surge. That People aren't going to take the flooding as seriously as they do the winds. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a tricky question. It's a tricky question. You could go back to Hurricane Katrina as well, which when it made landfall was a cat three, but had a storm surge of a five. You know, in some cases it was like a 30 foot storm surge. That's that's correct. And actually the worst 
tropical cyclone that we have on record, the one I talked about that hit Bangladesh, um, only had a only had a 20 foot storm surge. But Bangladesh, the average elevation of that very heavily populated country is like five to 10 feet. So mm-hmm. if you have a 10 foot or a 20 foot storm surge that goes through, it decimated it. Actually, it was kind of interesting because that area used to be called East Pakistan. But after that horrible uh, tropical cyclone went through back in 1970, uh, the response was uh, from the central government, which was East Pakistan or uh, was uh, uh, West Pakistan, was not fast enough. And so the people in East Pakistan revolted and basically made their their own country of Bangladesh. It's one situation where a hurricane actually led to the development of an entirely new country, the country of Bangladesh. Oh, my God. Is that in your book, too? That is in my book as well. (laughs) I love it. I love that we tied this in. So I'm very interested in your book. Um, You know, for the average person that wants to know a little bit more about weather, I mean, is it for them, too? It is. It's meant for a broad audience. Now, there are some things in it where I have to get kind of technical because uh, some of the instrumentation that we use and and some of the ways that we evaluate a record get into to more scientific uh, uh, terminology. But I tried to make it as accessible as possible for a general audience. And I, as I say, between each chapter, I even have those fun little mm-hmm. interludes, those freaks of the storm. So I think everybody, that, particularly people that are interested in weather and who's not interested in weather, basically, yes. uh, are, are going to enjoy it. And actually, that was one of the primary reasons that we created the uh, WMO Archive of, of Weather Extremes is that we wanted uh, a database that people could go to and be assured that, yes, these are verified numbers of hottest, coldest, wettest, uh, strongest winds, that type of thing. Up until we created this, um, really the only source that you had for uh, that kind of information was private. Uh, books like uh, the Guinness Book of World Records, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's, it's kind of full circle now because uh, the Guinness Book of World Records has uh, made me one of their consultants so that when, we, nice. when they are looking at a new record, I will actually uh, consult with them to make sure that they have what we have in the World Meteorological Organization. So we've kind of come full circle, and I, I'm really appreciative now that we've got such a, a good uh, rapport with uh, the media. And when there's something odd that happens, I get flooded with uh, emails and with interview requests because they want to make sure they get it right. And, and we really in meteorology appreciate that. I think that's awesome. You know, I don't know who said it, but it, it was everybody talks about the weather, but nobody does anything about it. But you're doing <laughs> something about it, which I appreciate. We're And, and we're having having fun with it. I One of the big pluses about this particular project that I was not anticipating when we set it up all the way back in 2007 was the number of uh, emails and letters that I get from kids that a lot of kids love weather extremes. Where is the hottest? Where is the coldest? What is the windiest? And some of them now, after we've had this project going on for nearly 20 years, uh, some of them have written to me and said, well, now I am a meteorologist and I owe Becoming a meteorologist to the fact that you 
got us started all the way back uh, when you set up this project. Oh, oh that, that, that warms my heart. Oh, that really yeah. warms my heart. That's amazing. That's tremendous. And I, I, I appreciate you just for that fact, you know, getting kids because <laughs> every kid, I'll go out to, to schools and, uh, mm. you know, the best question I can ask is tell me about a weather event that you remember that affected you <laughs> and kids will talk your ear off. <laughs> every hand will go up. <laughs> I, I know so exactly true. what you mean. Uh, actually, that's that's, and that's not only true for kids, but it actually is, uh, is of adults as well. Yes. I, one of the fun things is occasionally I'll get an, an email from somebody that tells me that uh, they were really happy because I helped them win a bar bet. That, uh, <laughs> they said that the strongest wind was this. And they looked it up on our on our website, and sure enough, yes, it was. A, wow. it was. And, and so, uh, so uh, the general public really does like extremes, and, and this is a place now where we can get the numbers and and be right with those numbers. Mm. What's the biggest surprise you think people will take away from reading this? Uh, just how extreme our weather can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're, for example, we, we've rewritten the book. Uh, some of our investigations have actually rewritten meteorology textbooks. It used to be said that a lightning flash would could occur only in less than a second. And in fact, I was taught that as a, as a student when I was in school. Now, with new instrumentation and with my extremes people looking at all these events, we have determined that the world record for the longest single lightning flash was 17 seconds. Wow. That from the beginning to the end, the lightning lasted for 17 seconds. The longest distance that one lightning flash event has traveled is 477 miles. It went all the way from Mississippi to southern Texas, one gigantic flash event. That's crazy. And so those are the kind of things that I think have amazed me as as we're uh, as we're d- doing this particular kind of project. I love it, Randy. It's great. How can people get the book? Uh, it's actually available uh, now for pre-order. It mm-hmm. doesn't come out in in a hard copy until uh, Leap Day. It doesn't come out until Leap February twenty nine. Yes, <laughs> love it. But it is available on places like Amazon.com. So uh, uh, and also the the publisher site is also a nice site as well. The publisher is an academic publisher named Rutledge. R O U T L E D G E. Okay, wonderful. We'll put it on our social media as well. I I love your enthusiasm for the weather. I really believe that weather, you know, brings us all together. You know, we all experience it. Uh, And and I love that, you know, you're doing something that's that's also bringing us together. So thank you, Randy. Yeah. One of the things is that when we when we talk about weather, we often talk about doom and gloom, but weather can be fun. And that's one of the things that I've enjoyed about it. Thanks again to Randy Cervini. World Meteorological Organization Rapporteur of Weather and Climate Extremes and Professor in Geographical Sciences, specializing in weather and climate at Arizona State University. His book is called Judging Extreme Weather, Climate Science in Action, which is available in stores at the end of the month, but online for pre-order. Grateful for his expertise and his love of the weather. I highly recommend the book, especially if you are interested in the science behind the headlines of extreme weather. Thank you to all of my listeners. If you have someone you think should make the Dean's List, let me know at Janice Dean on Twitter or Janice Dean FNC on Instagram. Or you can rate this podcast. 
Please subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.